Hello and welcome to all our friends, old and new. This is the Midwest Football Podcast, your source for in-depth coverage of the eight NFL teams in the Midwest. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings all served with a side of fantasy football. I'm Joe Smith, coming to you from the Great Lakes State, where Mother Nature still thinks it's March and it's not funny anymore. This is my broadcast partner and good friend, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. Hey, big week with the draft. Let's get right to the recap. But before we begin, I want to thank Raymond once again for our theme song, Running Home, found with all his music at all digital music distributors. And thanks again to Chris Brandley for all our logos across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and everywhere else where you can reach out and interact with Brian and I directly. We do all of our own social media, so if you jump on there, you're getting one of us. Speaking of interacting with us, our email is midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com, and we look forward to hearing your questions, concerns, comments, metaphysical anxieties, any and all of the above. But Brian, as we record this, it is Tuesday, May 2nd. The NFL draft is in the books, and now we have a lot of team and player moves to respond to. Maybe more we can fit in one episode. So do you want to get straight to, let's start with the Colts, because they were the first to draft with the, their quarterback? That sounds good to me, and they definitely made a big splash. Uh, mixed to positive reviews, the people that really like the Colts draft usually really like the Colts draft. And a lot of it will come down to how good Toolsy Richardson, that's what I'm calling him now, He's Toolsy Richardson. Uh, how could he can do things that no NFL quarterback in the history of NFL quarterbacks can do, but we're going to find out whether he can actually run an NFL offense. Well, I will say this draft fell almost exactly as I predicted based on previous drafts. Not specifically the players other than Anthony Richardson, but – in the past, they were drafting a lot of high upside physical guys that didn't necessarily produce, aka toolsy guys like Bernard Ryman last year and mega human Jelani Woods, you know, at tight end. And it's not a surprise they took Richardson. I was thinking they were on Levis until the combine. And then I just thought they fell in love with Richardson the rest of the way and were happy to sit at four and wait for him to fall. And worst case scenario, they get stuck with Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. Yeah, you can take some flowers there for pretty much calling Anthony Richardson to the Colts in the in our last podcast. It got its own uh, YouTube video for that basically uh, today that released. He looks like he's got Cam Newton size, Michael Vick's speed and arm strength, and Lamar Jackson's agility. But can he throw is the question. I mean throw the kind of underneath and touch and accuracy that an NFL uh, offense requires. So for those of you who listened to last week's the uh, last two weeks ago, I believe it was the uh, going over what makes a quarterback bust. Anthony Richardson really knocks out a lot of the boxes of a player who won't succeed in the NFL. So I wasn't a big fan of him, but I've, I've kind of come around on him because I did a little deep diving since the draft. And um, I looked into the last two stops that his now head coach, Shane Steichen, was at. In Philadelphia, Shane Steichen was the offensive coordinator who groomed Jalen Hurts from 2021, where he wasn't an accurate quarterback, but he still ran a top 10 offense. And then they added, you know, A.J. Brown might have helped, but Hurts 
was runner-up MVP last year and in the Super Bowl. To me, that gets me excited for the fantasy owner aspect of it because it tells me that he's got an offensive mind that can use him even if he can't throw the ball very accurately like Jalen Hurts two years ago, but then also has the capability of coaching up these physical, strong-arm guys. Yeah, uh, so you were talking about his new coach in Indianapolis. It looks like he's really going to have an opportunity to use him. I thought for a minute there you were talking about his coach in Florida. No, I was talking about uh, Indianapolis the whole time. Shane Steichen was Philadelphia before. And um, and then the stop where Shane Steichen was at before Philadelphia, he coached another strong arm tools monster that didn't really produce in college named Justin Herbert. So last I checked, Herbert and Hurts, both pretty good. A lot of people are excited about him in fantasy football and real life football. So maybe Richardson has the talent to be better than them. But to me, it's more about the floor. I think Steichen can at least utilize him in the run game and buy him time on the field to develop as a passer the way that Hurts did the last couple of years. I see this as a high floor pick. This is a guy that's going to give you, I think, because of his running ability, he's going to be a good ball mover and producer as long as they're using him in an offense where he can use his legs. Uh, A lot of run pass option, a lot of play action, a lot of quarterback draws and runs and some off tackles because you're going to have a a lot easier time for the running backs because they have to spy the quarterback at all times. So instead of having five guys to beat, he's only got four, say. And also that means uh, they can't load up on uh, Jonathan Taylor because they got to have one guy always keeping an eye on the quarterback. So that's going to open up extra rushing lanes for him. And then also the the receivers out there, Michael Pittman, Alec Pierce, they're big. <laughs> they're good targets. They might be able to haul in some inaccurate passes early on in Anthony Richardson's career. So even though going into the draft, I wasn't a big fan of him, I think he landed in probably the best spot coaching-wise uh, that will use him properly at least to produce a capable offense. Whether or not he gets accurate as a passer, that's to be seen. But the way I look at it is each season that he can buy with his legs gives him more time to get accurate as a passer. That's a really good way of looking at it, actually. Yeah, they definitely have the running backs to run that kind of run-heavy Baltimore Ravens-style offense. With Jonathan Taylor, arguably, if he's not the best back in the league, he's up there. Mm-hmm. They Agreed. just drafted a really nice two-down plotter in Evan Hall. They picked him up in the fifth round. They've got some running backs that can, or sorry, excuse me, some wide receivers that can make some catches in space. They used one of their high picks on uh, North Carolina wide receiver Josh Downs. I really like Josh Downs. He's an interesting guy because even though the two other guys are bigger, Josh Downs is a smaller guy, but he was one of the best contested catch guys in football last year. He's like the little dog at the dog park that doesn't know he's supposed to be small. He just goes and gets it, and he's a good you know, slot compliment, whereas like Pittman is a big guy who kind of fits that X role. Alec Pierce is a really fast, toolsy receiver that can stretch the defense, and Downs is going to be that underneath guy that can, you know, catch the ball, move the chains. And I think it's a really good receiver. It might not be the best receiver core, but they complement each other well. And then you throw in the fact that they got Mo Alley Cox and Jelani Woods, which might be the largest two tight ends out there. 
The only thing that would have been more comical is if they got that guy from Georgia in their draft that went to the Steelers. Yeah, if the line of thought is let's get receivers where all that Toolsy Richardson has to do is get it in the zip code and it's going to be a catch, then they certainly accomplished that mission. Yep. And just true to their brand, too, they, they got some other good ones that I like. Some of the other guys I like, they got um, Abawale. Am I pronouncing it correct? Abawale, the uh, defensive tackle out of Northwestern. He's a good uh, he's a good physical boom-bust guy, as well as Darius Rush, cornerback from South Carolina. I think those are some high upside defensive players that they got. Well, uh, And there's some other guys they got even lower that all have that high ceiling, low floor type and that's just what they do and i think that's what you want to do when you're in rebuild uh is get those high those high uh upside lottery tickets and get a lot of them and see which ones stick the byu offensive tackle was a little bit weird because they started the offseason with basically one piece of their offensive line superset and it was uh last year's project bernhard raymond So then they turn around and they added, instead of anything to help the inside of the offensive line, which looked like where their trouble spots were, they added another project left tackle who's tall and lanky and doesn't look good in the run game. So I'm not sure they can play both of these guys at left tackle. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that either. I thought that was probably the first pick they'd made that I was like, I don't even see the upside in it, to be honest. He's got such a weird body type as a tackle. Yeah. Well, I mean, you he's got the kind of length that teams want, and he's super athletic. So I'm not saying he's going to stink. I'm just saying that I don't know how he fits in with Raymond on the same line, unless they're planning to kick Raymond to the right side or Ryman. something. Yeah. Ryman, yeah. But, you know, depth doesn't, you know, it doesn't hurt to have depth. So. Yeah, true, but they also could have had – starters on that side of the line what do you think of the class overall um i thought it was fine um there was a couple you know it's it's a lot of boom bust guys and it's going to be hard to determine there was only a few guys i really loved but for the most part i think it made sense for what they do as a draft um as a team as a gm and uh, what ballard does and also when you're picking number four overall, you, you should swing for the fences. But also, swinging for the fences in the previous drafts is also might have been what landed them going from the playoff team down to a top five draft pick in the first place. I'll give the Colts a lot of credit because they were swinging for the fences. They don't want to be second and third in the AFC South for the next 10 years. They want to win the thing and play for Super Bowls again. Just uh, tangent. Speaking of that, I find it interesting that the AFC South, the uh, the the elder statesman is going to be Trevor Lawrence heading into year three with uh, C.J. Stroud going to Houston and Will Levis going to Tennessee in the second round and Richardson in the uh, to the Colts. So you got possibly three rookie quarterbacks starting. And I'll agree with you. I think swinging for the fences is what they should do, especially in the mid to late rounds. Yeah, if you can get a nice player and with legitimate starter upside or better in a pick that where you normally find special teamers, then yeah, you're definitely doing something. Yeah, so I liked a lot of what they did in Indianapolis. Um, speaking of boom bust type drafts, people seem to either hate or love what the Lions did. 
our resident Lions fan, what do you think? I am neither of those people. I'm in the place where I'm okay with it in the aggregate. Um, let me be clear. When the Lions traded down from 6 to 12, after Jalen Carter fell to them, I'm a big Jalen Carter guy, mm-hmm. and then they picked a running back in the first round, I think my head exploded. I'm <laughs> uh, like – I like there is still mess in my living room from where my head exploded. But I, I can account for the fact that I'm glad we did not live record a reaction on Thursday. Um, you might not have, have a job. Off the air. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'd have <laughs> been were, off the air, thanks to me. Your but, uh, responses um, were not happy at the moment. Yeah, I'm still not because we've got. I think the biggest thing that you can say about this draft is I don't think they got enough for the sixth overall pick, basically unless running back Jameer Gibbs and tight end Sam Laporta are Alvin Kamara and George Kittle. Yeah. Okay. My personal philosophy. I'm a podcaster. I'm not a draft evaluator. So I have philosophical ways that I like to see a team built. I have certain traits that I like to see in players and some players that I think have them. Uh, I do not look at hundreds of hours of game tape. So am I smarter than an NFL general manager? Well, unless it's Matt Millen, probably not. (laughs) Uh, So when you have a guy like Brad Holmes that does – something a little bit unorthodox or a lot bit unorthodox, then he gets a little bit of leeway because he's gotten us from a roster that's probably worse than an expansion team to three off seasons later talking about winning the division and making a playoff run. He gets some leeway there, but I can still criticize. It's still fair to criticize that you went from a spot where you could have gotten an elite player to one where you probably didn't. I don't think there are too many guys other than Brad Holmes, more on this in a moment, that had Alabama running back Jameer Gibbs in the super elite tier. Holmes did. Mm -hmm. Holmes, he pretty much went on the record to Monday morning quarterback and said that the super elite tier on the Lions draft board was Defensive end, Will Anderson, cornerback, Devin Witherspoon, and Alabama running back, Jameer Gibbs, in that order. So are you telling me that the theory that they panicked when Witherspoon went shockingly fifth to Seattle may be true? Possibly. Although they also went way out of their way to say that they were getting ready to take Jameer Gibbs at six over B. John Robinson. That I don't believe. Who had Gibbs over Robinson in any world? He's like the best prospect since Saquon or Adrian Peterson (laughs) at running back. Yeah, it it seemed a little bit used car salesman to me when he said that, which is not something that Brad Holmes is known for, especially considering that in those uh, after day one pressers, Holmes basically doubled down and said, we don't draft scared. We don't play scared. Direct quote. Mm, okay. So, you know, his basically. I believe that after this weekend. That is true. But I mean, you have to know when you are this far away from consensus in your draft evaluations. And they were. 
there was the Lions draft board and there was the draft board used by the rest of the known universe. You have to understand where your values are different from consensus and get some extra value out of that. Agreed. So it just seems like they drafted, especially early, a lot of guys at their ceiling. If these guys live up to their potential, that's great. They got potentially elite players at tier three positions in the NFL. And for those of you that didn't listen to our positional breakdown a couple weeks ago, I got bad news for Lions fans. There's only three tiers. But you've got a linebacker that I like. I don't have a problem with Jack Campbell at 18. We've got a running back that will contribute immediately in Jameer Gibbs. He's the air back. We've got a tight end, and we didn't have one, with Sam Laporta, who could be a – he's a pass-catching type running back, which is what we needed. We didn't need a blocker. We've got a really good offensive line for that. We've got an Alabama defensive back that people are raving about as a potential steal. We got – Four, maybe five guys with defensive tackle Broderick Martin who could all be immediate contributors on a team that ended the season last year on an eight and two tear. So you might argue with how they got there. We might not want to see how the sausage was made, but they ended up with a pretty okay draft class that I'm curious to see how they do. So that I find interesting about the dichotomy of the draft because I can look at it two ways. One where I think, wow, they reached a lot, especially early on where Gibbs might have been overdrafted, but he might be the best running back in the class. Campbell was probably overdrafted, but he was considered the best linebacker in the class. Laporta was overdrafted, but a lot of people thought he was a value. People had him as the fourth best tight end, but he could be the value that could be the number one because it's a stacked class and Laporta could be the one best one, but they took him number two right ahead of Mike Mayer. And then Brian Branch is considered universally the best safety in the draft, possibly a first-round pick. He was probably the best value. But it's also funny that those four guys were literally the quote-unquote four positions of least value of the draft where you don't normally want to draft them high. And as my buddy Tony pointed out, we got four, we, we turned um, the number six overall pick and the Stafford trade and all that stuff into five second-round picks, which is kind of funny because – you know, that's kind of the weird part about it is I think that the Lions got really good players out of it, but maybe they could have gotten Gibbs and Campbell in the second round and gotten elite players, more elite players at more premium positions in the first. But either way, I think they came away with good players. And like Brian Branch in the second round was considered a steal. A lot of people thought he would go as high as top 15. Some people thought the Eagles might have taken him at 10. Um, personally, my favorite tight end in the class is Sam Laporta. Of the three, first three that go, really, yeah, and I'll explain it because Kincaid is the pass catcher type, and he is the elite. He's going to look great with Josh Allen throwing them the ball, but he's not a great blocker. And I've seen a lot of these guys in the past, like Trey McBride, not get on the field. He was considered last year's top tight end um, because coaches aren't fantasy football players; they want their tight ends to be able to get on the field and block, block, block. And they won't, they don't want to telegraph it by being only in third down positions. Like Mike Gusecki was a good example of that where the guy was an elite fantasy football player. The new uh, regime came into Miami and said, you don't ever play tight end. You play slot receiver. We had enough slot receivers that are faster and better at getting open um, by, you know, and then they just kind of put him on the bench 
So I still think Dalton Kincaid was, you know, the number one guy, but I could see him struggling to get on the field early because he's not a great blocker and doesn't fall in good graces with the coaches. Mike Mayer is the opposite where he is a elite blocker and good at beating zones, but he's not very fast and he's not good at beating man to man. He's kind of reminds me of late career Jason Witten, where when you got third and five, he can get you seven yards and he can beat Mm -hmm. zone. The guy that came to mind is Dalton Schultz. Yeah. Well, the guy, yeah, exactly. And he's fine. He's not exciting, but coaches like him because he doesn't tip, he doesn't tip away whether you're running or passing based on whether or not he's in the game. And then Laporte is kind of an in-betweener where he has that speed and uh, receiving ability that's almost as good as Kincaid, but he's more of a tenacious blocker than Kincaid. So I think he's going to earn his reps, especially Dan Campbell to get on the field. And then the other guy you got at a real good value was Hendon Hooker. People were talking about him going the first round or maybe the second round. And he might be a good bridge. If he shows stuff in the off season in his rehab, he could be poor man's Jared Goff, but on a, $1.5 million a year contract versus a $40 million a year contract. Yeah. Hendon Hooker, listening to the chatter here in Detroit, is the base breaker of this class, depending upon how people feel about Jared Goff. All of the people who don't want to pay Jared Goff and the people who believe you can't win with Goff in any meaningful way are doing backflips over the Hendon Hooker pick. The people who are like, but Jared Goff is good. He puts up top 10 quarterback numbers. If we're winning, who cares? Pay him. Those people are like, why did we waste a draft pick on Hendon Hooker that could have been a potential starter? I like the pick as an idea. You have to understand, Hendon Hooker is a dream. He is a hope. He is the woman carved into the prow of a sailing ship. That is Hendon Hooker. He is not going to play this year, almost for sure, because of his knee injury. And also because he is not coming out of an NFL-style offense. The coaching staff and the uh, post-draft pressers came out and said, he came out of a not-NFL offense, he's going to need some time. Hard to evaluate, yeah. That's why the injury might be a blessing in disguise. Give him a year to break those habits. Right, instead of throwing him out there when he's not ready as the savior. I'm kind of hoping that just the presence of Hendon Hooker keeps Goff from demanding $50 million a year when Goff enters his contract year next season. Maybe there'll be an Aaron Rodgers situation where they drafted uh, Jordan Love and then Jared Goff goes nuclear and wins back-to-back MVPs. Maybe well, that's I don't his. know that... <laughs> I don't know that he's going to win back-to-back MVPs, but if the Lions are a 12-win team that steamrolls the NFC North and they get a playoff game and maybe win a playoff game, it's going to be real hard for a lot of Lions fans to say, but maybe we can do better, considering we're used to not having anything at all. And to be honest, one last thing on Hooker Hooker is that I think that there's still value to be having a – developmental quarterback backup quarterback on a cheap contract a third round rookie contract is not paid a lot of money where a lot of uh backups are you know five to ten million hooker is going to be on about one to 1.5 million a year so that still leaves some flexibility even if he doesn't directly help golf it keeps some of the cap space open for other players as far as i'm concerned you can pay golf something but keep the cap number under 30 million 
I'm okay with anything south of that. I'm not okay with 45 million per. Uh, So at worst, Hendon Hooker is insurance against having to pay off. If this works, though, you've extended your championship window, and he might be the opening day starter as soon as 2024. Mm -hmm. So what I thought was interesting about the Lions draft is I felt like their day one was kind of overreaching, and their day two and stuff became very different where they were getting a lot of value like Hooker and uh, Brian Branch. I feel like the Bears draft was kind of the opposite, where if you look at what they did day one, it was – very safe and then day two and beyond they were like the Colts where they were just swinging for the fences and I like to look at it two ways one day one what they did with the first overall pick they traded back twice they got extra draft picks in the future and they got DJ Moore and they got Darnell Wright to really shore up the offense give Justin Fields a chance I really like the pick of Darnell Wright. He is, assuming he pans out, of course, he's a natural right tackle. He can maul in the run game. So it's exactly the position that you, Brian, as a Chicago Bears fan, was saying you wanted was that right tackle where we can start mashing people. And he will need probably, at least according to scouts, some occasional help in pass protection. But you can deal with that. That's what your tight end is for on that side, among other things, especially since the Bears don't have a gigantic target at tight end that we know about yet. Well, so one of the nice things about him, though, was even though he's 330, he fits the mold of a mauler. A lot of his block, missed blocks are leaning too far forward and getting over his feet in the run game. And he's actually a pretty good pass protector. Um I love the film of him blocking uh, Will Anderson in Alabama. Feel free to look it up. I might have posted on our social media feed. It was pretty pretty fun to watch. And also, he's the right tackle, not the left. And it really rounds out the Bears' offensive line, which is what we needed. And then combine that with DJ Moore knocking all the receivers down. I think day one, the Bears did Justin Fields the solid that fans were crying for last year when we didn't have a first-round pick. Now, after that, I feel like, Matt Eberflus sat down with Poles and he said, give me all the raw talent guys that didn't produce in college and let me fix them and fill out the defense. You got back-to-back tackles. You got uh, Gervin Dexter and uh, Zach Pickens from uh, Florida and South Carolina, respectively. Both of them underproduced in college, but they had monster talent. And you could just feel Eberflus saying, oh, I know what he's doing that doesn't get off the line. I can fix this. And as a defensive guy, I think that's what he wanted. And ironically, they flooded the posi- they flooded the defensive line like I wanted to. They just flooded the tackle position with coming back with a third one in the seventh round from Kennesaw State and not the defensive end as I was hoping for. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because they really, I don't think, picked up a true edge rusher, which I thought was – much more of a need after they uh, spent so heavily on the interior of the defensive line. So if this is the plan, which would be mine, if, uh, if I'm, if I were to take over the bears from here, I kind of like what they did. They kind of, so this is where their draft kind of went combination of what the Colts do with high upside physical talents with what the Packers do, which is flood one position. We three defensive tackles, two and free agency. 
Um, we drafted another linebacker. We added two in free agency. And one last year, Sanborn was pretty good. We added two more high upside cornerbacks, Tyreek Stevenson and Terrell Smith. A lot of people even like think Terrell Smith might be the steal of the fifth round, as well as getting uh, Gordon last year. And um, we basically blew out everything but the pass rusher. So there's a lot of rumors that there might be Chase Young trades or whatever. That's the hope. Um, or this might be a way you can come up to the veterans like Justin Houston and say, hey, guess what? We might have had the number one overall pick last year, but we filled out every other position. We just need you to come in and pass rush for us on third down. Yeah, it looked like with the corners that they got two guys that are both man corners. So it looks like that's what they want to play, at least with these guys. The Tyreek Stevenson was pretty much a pure man press machine in college. Um, I thought he struggled a lot in zone and was just okay off man ball. Uh, but uh, Terrell Smith from Minnesota, he's toolsier. He's got the athleticism. He's a lot more versatile on film. The thing that makes you wonder about him was his college production wasn't there, but that can be very iffy with cornerbacks because sometimes the best ones just aren't even thrown to. Yeah, and his production spiked last year, so they're not sure if it he put it together or if it was a fluke. And his knock was change of direction speed, so there is murmurs that they might kind of convert him to a safety. So, and then on the other side of the ball, I think that the fourth round, they added two more offensive weapons or special teamers, depending on where you look at it. Roshan Johnson, the guy who backed up uh, B. John Robinson at Texas, a lot of people think he's going to be good. And him with Deontay Foreman, with Khalil Herbert, leads for a fantasy football absolute nightmare. But I think you have three talented running backs that can give you good production if you're the Bears as, as a non-fantasy thing. And then Tyler Scott from Cincinnati, he's a running back convert that, worst case scenario, is probably a good, pretty good special teamer, but he can fly. So he might fill that role of a field stretcher to allow DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney to work underneath. And he could probably directly compete with Clay, Chase Claypool and uh, Villas Jones for that number three spot as soon as second year. Yeah, I really like that pick. I felt like you know, for, for our fantasy owners in the short term, he's probably going to have more value as a real NFL deep threat. So if you're in a yearly league, you don't want him yet. But we might be talking a lot more about him by 2025 where he pairs that deep speed that we know he has. And he's definitely got an electric straight line speed to a sort of more complete X receiver type tool set. He's been comped more than once to T.Y. Hilton. And he certainly was used that way in uh, Cincinnati, right? Was his college? Yeah, yeah he Cincinnati. was Cincinnati. Rashawn Johnson, yeah, I don't, as a fantasy owner, I'm not in any hurry to figure out the Chicago Bears backfield. Uh, Johnson was Bijan Robinson's backup at Texas. He's a two-down thumper, but he's also a really good pass blocker and a potential special teams utility guy. So I don't doubt he's going to be on the roster. He'll probably always have to fight for a roster spot, but he's got all that extra utility that, a coach is definitely going to like. Yeah. And I think they really rounded out the core. And I think that, uh, and I want to point out, you mentioned Tyler Scott last week as one of your favorite uh, receivers on value. And I'm glad to see the bears pick up, pick up guys like that. And I kind of think he's everything 
the Bears were hoping Vilas Jones could be, which, you know, he was injured, but he's also a little older, whereas Tyler Scott's younger and he's new to the position, so he's got more potential, more upside swing, which I like. And my kind of take on the draft class as a whole is outside of the first round, I think most of these guys are either going to be productive starters by year two or they might be not even on the team or in the league by year two or three. (laughs) And I think when you're the Bears and you're just trying to throw everything at the fan and see what sticks – it's a kind of a good way to build. They, they traded down, they got extra picks and they got extra picks for next year and the year afterwards too. So I think it's a good transition year where there's no expectations to win. So if any of these guys pan out, if one of these three defensive tackles works out, one of these defensive backs, they become a building block. And then next year they can really hammer it home via trade, via free agency or via uh, draft, whatever the last needs are. And if you're trying to build a team on a two-year window, I think it's a great way to go about it if you're Chicago. So my only nervous part about it is if Poles continues to draft like this, we might have a lot of strikeouts, which might deter the process. But at the same time, he does a lot of trading back and picking up extra picks. So you might bat 200 instead of 300, but if you have 20 bats at bats versus eight, you're going to get more hits. And I, and I like that approach, which is the opposite of what Pace used to do, where he did actually have a high batting average in the draft, but he traded up a lot and gave up a lot of draft capital to do it. So ultimately, by the time he was let go in Chicago a couple of years ago, there wasn't a lot of talent left. Speaking of taking a lot of weapons, hold on just a second. We got some breaking news right now. Oh, wait, I think Green Bay just drafted another target for their quarterback. Uh, because they drafted, let's see, one, two, two tight ends and three receivers in a class of about 5,873 prospects. I want to point out they drafted three wide receivers last year, too. I don't even think all six of them can even make the roster next year. Yeah, well, don't be surprised if they try to sneak some of them onto the practice squad, but yeah. Some of our Midwest folks might be happy to see uh, Michigan State's Jaden Reed as a second-round pick. I He really surprised me because I never thought of him based on his production at Michigan State, which is a team I follow closely. I never saw him as a second-round wide receiver, but you looked at his measurable numbers. You looked at his combine performance. You looked at his percentage of usage in the offense, and even though it was not a great Michigan State offense – He's got a real shot at the next level if the Green Bay quarterback ends up amounting to much. They did just extend him today for two years at you know around the level of what a fifth year option would be. I was interested by their draft as a whole because they continued their uh, strategy of flooding specific positions, like we joked about earlier. They they drafted six receivers in the last two rounds or two years. They drafted two tight ends in the second and the third round. And it goes back to even back in the day when Matt Randy Moss was in the division, there was one year where they drafted cornerbacks in the first, second, and third round. And it's kind of like the strategy I was talking about with the Bears earlier was it's just let's see as much as we can get. Let's get – it's a, it's a induced competition and see who makes it out of the camp. And uh, we might get the best out of these guys. That being said, I think they kind of reached a lot early. And that I don't like. I think reaching – on and, and where the Lions reached, it was on proven players that we knew was good, just maybe not the best positional value. 
Lucas Van Ness didn't even start for Iowa, their first round pick. And he's a tweener, defensive end, power defensive end, maybe tackle, but he doesn't have a lot of game film on him. And Luke Musgrave, their second round tight end, similar. I think he has in four years at Oregon State, maybe half a season season worth of game film on him. Yeah, they definitely went with a lot of guys that there is just not that much film on and swung for upside. Uh, it should be noted that the that NFL.com lists Lucas Van Ness as a linebacker. Um, I would just put him as an edge guy. Yeah, because I think that was where his uh, where his best work was. Uh, which by doing that, then that means that the Packers also drafted three linebackers per NFL.com. A lot of people had Lucas Van Ness. You know, you start to think about those silly season rumors leading up to the draft when all of a sudden everybody started getting a man crush on Lucas Van Ness and a lot of these other undersized pass rushers, Cansey, Smith, that ended up dropping like rocks. And the Packers were the ones that stopped the slide there. And, you know, sometimes the team that makes that bet matters. If it's the Lions or the Browns historically or Arizona or somebody like that, and they take a, a roll the dice on a risky player, you're thinking, eh, well, we've seen that not work out a lot. But when it's a team like Green Bay or Pittsburgh that has tremendous success, it's a lot different story. Maybe it will work out. Well, and I do think they had a couple of guys that I do like, like the uh, other tight end they drafted. I actually thought he was one of the better value picks going later. So I thought it was interesting. They doubled up on that right away. So even if Musgrave doesn't work out due to injury concerns, Tucker Kraft might be really good out of San Diego or South Dakota state. And then they got my boy, Carl Brooks defensive end out of Bowling Green in the six. I thought that was a good value. And then even um, Anthony Johnson, Jr. The safety out of Iowa state, people thought he was going to go high. I think Chris Collinsworth even had him in the first round of his mock draft. He was a seventh round pick for the Packers. So I think as much as they reached early, I think they got some potential steals really late in the draft in the sixth and seventh round. Like when we were talking about the lions, if they end up winning a whole bunch of games, no one will care exactly where they got these players. It all comes down to how well does Jordan love do and, it's funny, they continued their trend of not drafting a guy, a receiver or a pass catcher in the first round, but they've given a lot of swings at the pass catchers, whether it be tight end or wide receiver over the last two years to help Jordan Love. So, And then also, they drafted Sean Clifford out of Penn State, so they must really want Jordan Love to be the guy because when I see uh, <laughs> NFL Network highlights of the quarterback throwing bubble screens – it's not exactly a ringing endorsement of what he can do. So he might be a high upside backside back backup quarterback, but I think it's Jordan loves job, especially when they extended him a couple of days ago. So it's, Hey, it's their GM's backside in the wood chipper. If uh, Jordan love doesn't pan out. So, I mean, they're trying to give them plenty of options. They're trying to give them plenty of help on both sides of the ball. They drafted for, those of you uh, in fantasy leagues, they did draft a kicker, uh, Anders Carlson out of Auburn, that, you know, if the Packers offense is halfway decent, that may be worth something for those of you that don't hate kickers with a fierce burning passion unrivaled like most fantasy football players tend to do. 
Well, as much help as they tried to give their young quarterback, the Steelers went the opposite way where they only drafted, I believe, one offensive player in the first six rounds. Well, they came back with a guard at the very end of the draft. Um, and even their one offensive guy is Darnell Washington, block first tight end out of Georgia. So what's your take on the high level of what the Steelers did? I liked their draft, especially early. They It was full-on Steelers drafting. They went out and got one of the better offensive tackles in the draft, Broderick Jones out of Georgia. I thought he was a fantastic fit for Pittsburgh. Agreed. He is uh, – a high upside athletic guy that needed a little bit more experience, needed a little bit coaching up on his technique. And we know Pittsburgh can do exactly that. Mm -hmm. Then they trade to the first pick of the second round and get Joey Porter Jr. Legacy. Yep. Who's already been at the Super Bowl with his dad. What was it? 24 years after they drafted his father. I mean, that's cool. Who was a career stealer and, as good as anybody that has played in recent memory for them. Have you seen um, the picture of uh, his dad winning the Super Bowl, holding him when he was a child? Yeah, uh, that was that was so cute. And the Steelers, I think, were putting out a pic that picture once you know once again through their social media. I mean, it's such a win to not only get a guy that people thought might go in the top 10 or at least top 20 in the first round and you get him in the second. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You make that trade. That was a definite win. Yeah. In the second, you know, also a, a big meaty defensive tackle. I really liked him a lot too. They, they didn't just go out and draft willy nilly. They got Steelers players with great pedigrees that are going to help them at different levels of the defense, even though they're not the sexy picks for the most part, they're going to help this team win. And even after those first three picks in the first two rounds, I they got three other guys that I really love in this draft. Um, Nick Herbig is one of my boys, outside linebacker, undersized pass rusher type. I think that's a perfect outside linebacker for the Steelers. He's going to be a huge fan favorite, I think, in a couple of years out of Wisconsin. And Corey Trice, um, cornerback of Purdue, he fell to the seventh round. He was a much higher graded. I believe I heard that he fell due to medical concerns. I don't think the Steelers have to start him right away. So they might be able to get a, a gem as late as a seventh. And then Darnell Washington, um, Mammoth, uh, tight end out of Georgia. Pull up the sled, Darnell Washington sled at the combine. It is amazing how he can push a sled. Now, can he push a human? We'll see. But he did it at Georgia, and he's a in a good spot because Pat Farmworth is their starting tight end. He's really good all around. But worst case scenario, Darnell Washington, if he never develops as a passer, he's going to be a great blocking tight end when it comes to bulldozing your way into the end zone, which I think the Steelers are going to like, especially when combined with Broderick Jones, teammate out of Georgia, and now teammate in uh, Pittsburgh. And I just – its it might be my favorite draft. I mean, I think they hit on pretty much every pick they took, and I love that about that, in my opinion, or at least guys that I like with my evaluation. And Broderick Jones, I really, really love. I, I can't say enough good things about him. I know, Joe, you already went over it. 
but he was one of the three tackles that made me excited for the Bears to trade back, whether it be Paris Johnson, who I think is the best, but he went up, you know, six overall, to Darnell Wright, who the Bears took, to Broderick Jones, who the Steelers took. I took. I think you can't go wrong with any of those three guys. It's a, it's a pretty good top tier, and I think that the Steelers really nailed the draft in Steelers style. It's really boring. A lot of defensive guys, a lot of trench guys. Even their offensive guys, more of a trench guy, and. Um, I just I think they did a good job and I really loved it. Every time they came up and they pulled up the name and you were just like, man, that's a Steelers player. It's a, it was uncanny. They know who they are. They're going to lean on you until you don't want to play football anymore. And, and once you hate football, that's when they win. Yeah. And very opposite of that the Vikings went with a lot of little guys. They drafted a receiver, cornerback, cornerback, a quarterback, and one defensive tackle in the fifth round. Now, they didn't have as many picks, but this kind of felt Vikings-ish too, though. Don't you think where it's like, we got the turf, we want to recreate the Randy Moss? I mean, they took Jordan Addison in the first round, who I think might be the most well-rounded receiver um, behind Jackson Smith and Jingba. I think he's going to start across uh, Justin Jefferson with TJ Hawkins in the middle. I think that was a really good pick, even though they did nothing to address the offensive line, which is terrible. And I would have preferred they go with that and then come back around in the third round to get a wide receiver. And then even then, they hammered the cornerback position with back-to-back in the third and fourth. And Jaron Hall out of BYU to have a backup quarterback? I don't think he's a threat to Cousins. If people are thinking about that. That was just an interesting pick. Um, to be honest, outside of Jordan Addison, my favorite pick of their draft um, was Dwayne McBride in the seventh round. He's one of those receivers out of a uh, small school. He does everything but run fast. And um, if they move on from Dalvin Cook, he could be a really good backup to uh, Al- um, Alexander Madison. But to me, they got good receiver value running back. And I don't know a whole lot about Makai Beckman or uh, Jay Ward at cornerback um, from USC or LSU, but they did draft a lot of uh, Trojans and Tigers in the first two rounds. Their first four players were both USC and LSU. Yeah, the Vikings draft just kind of mystified and infuriated me. I get Jordan Allison. I'm not as high on him as you are, but I admit that he's a first-round wide receiver talent that is going to look really dangerous opposite Justin Jefferson because he's never going to see a double team. He was ultra productive at Southern Cal. He's got plenty of physical tools. The thing that kind of itches the back of my brain is he had a lot of trouble in college with man press and he's never been pressed the way that NFL corners are going to man press him. If you can largely wipe him out with, a hard man press, that's a problem. I don't have a big problem with the pick in principle, though, if they had come back around and done something to address the bleeding, burning dumpster fire that is the right side of their offensive line. But they never did that. They did not devote a single pick to the offensive line. So apparently, in their mind, they're super good. Yeah, and I have one last callback to last week on Jordan Addison where the last thing about Jordan Addison I want to add is he's on that Devontae Smith to Andy Isabella scale of undersized receivers. And if he can develop getting off that press man, as you mentioned, he could be a star. 
But if he can't, he might be erased within two years of, you know, out of the NFL and become a gimmick guy where they got to motion him to get him off press. So I, I agree with that assessment on that. And I, I would have liked to see them uh, do more on the line. Yeah, I can understand that for sure. I mean, the Makai Blackman, Jay Ward, yeah, they definitely had needs at cornerback. We talked about them, you know, having to lose guys over the last couple episodes that we did. We talked about them losing significant players across their defense, including Patrick Peterson. I don't know that you're going to replace Patrick Peterson with a third-round pick and a fourth-round pick, but they didn't have a whole lot else. To me, they they just seem to be treating the offensive line as an afterthought position, and – if you're going to do that, you have to have one unbelievable collection of skill position players to make up for it, and a quarterback that's just a supercomputer. I'm not sure they qualify there. As much as I hated their draft, I kind of thought the Bengals draft was just kind of meh. I've seen some people give them good high grades, but like, I don't, there wasn't a lot that really moved the needle for me. I mean, they got Miles Murphy in the first round, which I believe you were talking about last week. Did you have words on him that you wanted to uh, Well, he was one of the guys that is just a power rushing edge that is, you know, a little short on actual pass rushing moves, but it's okay because he just rock bottoms people. The, <laughs> uh, the, um, it, we're cutting. Yeah. Miles Murphy was a real tendency breaker for the Bengals because they do tend to go so need heavy in the early picks into the, at least in this current regime and Miles Murphy edge rusher really wasn't a big need for this Bengals team. So it might've been just a case where they had him so high on their draft board that they couldn't resist, but what did they not do like Minnesota? They didn't address the offensive line. What did we talk about more than anything else in the preview episodes for the offseason this draft? Keeping Joe Burrow upright. Agreed. Exactly. And I just thought that was interesting because uh, to me, that's kind of the difference between what Chicago and Pittsburgh did is they are keeping, they're trying to keep their young quarterbacks alive where Cincinnati and Minnesota were like, meh, don't worry about it. Get rid of the ball faster. And then Cincinnati, I think they just they're trying to keep up with the Joneses in the AFC with the defense. I mean, they drafted DJ Turner out of Michigan, who I like. I thought he was a pretty good pickup uh, in the second round. And then they got the other cornerback, Jordan Battle from Alabama, who is not nearly on the same par as a uh, uh, branch was for the uh, for the Lions. And it's okay, but you know they added three defensive players in the first three rounds, and I guess that's what they really want is they want to slow down Mahomes and uh, and Josh Allen. One of the most intriguing picks they have was fifth round Chase Brown out of running back out of Illinois because they have nothing else behind Mixon right now. He might be the breakout fantasy sleeper star of this year because he might just be fed volume. And they did draft a punter for those of you with punter fantasy leagues, Brad Robbins out of the University of Michigan. He can boom them. So maybe they're going to help out their defense that way too. They just really seem committed with this draft class to that slowdown style that we've seen out of them for the last couple of years that is so unusual for a team with a elite level quarterback that's not trying to rack up the offensive plays. Maybe they're just going to try and win 
first to 24 instead of first to 31. Do you have any strong takes on the two receivers they took? They took Charlie Jones out of Purdue in the fourth round and Andre, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his last name, out of Princeton. But I think some people have said good things about Sir Charlie Jones. He wasn't really on my radar. Yeah, um, no disrespect intended to Isovius, but I don't watch a whole lot of Princeton football <laughs> games. Um, that being said, I do think that Charlie Jones has some upside potential. I don't think he's going to be a pro bowler, but for a mid-round pick, he could develop into a starter in the right situation. Now, do you think they might have picked him up as a T. Higgins or a Tyler Boyd heir apparent? I do feel like he's one of those guys that had all kinds of production at Purdue, but he's not the greatest uh, quickness. He's got the straight line speed, but not the quickness. So he may have hard time separating from off man or man press at the NFL. So he might be more of a field stretcher role that complement Jamar Chase or a T Higgins than a replacement for a slot receiver like Tyler Boyd. Does that make sense? Yeah, probably the kind of guy that, that you send out to do 40 wind sprints a game because he runs incredibly fast in a perfectly straight line. And then you can just throw the ball to T Higgins or, you know, Jamar Chase underneath. And it makes sense. And uh, I don't think they did anything to address the tight end position. So that, that was, that'll be interesting to see if they get anything off the scrap heap for the fantasy players who want, uh, you know, Joe Burrow's target at tight end. Well, I mean, yeah, but if you look at it, they really need – there's the opposite of Detroit. They need a blocking tight end because that that offense needs as much – they don't need more targets. They need to keep Joe Burrow in one piece or else there's going to be a point in some game where there's two defensive ends for the other team jumping up and down in celebration five yards apart, each holding part of Joe Burrow's body. It's not going to be pretty. Yeah, the best fit for them at tight end was taken two spots before them by a division rival Steelers, as we mentioned earlier, Darnell Washington went at 93 and they picked at 95. Now, speaking of the AFC North, what's your take on what the Browns did? They didn't have a first or second round pick, but do you think they made the most out of what they did? You know, I felt like they did pretty well with their draft, all things considered. I'm not the biggest Cedric Tillman guy. He did slip to the mid-third round after the dreaded high ankle sprain, which pretty much wiped out his senior season. He did win some kudos from NFL coaches and executives, though, because he came back before he was 100%. He didn't just shut it down. So he got something for his toughness. He's a big body. He's a contested catch guy which is kind of one of the receiver types that I was maybe thinking that they might go for, although I was really thinking deep guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got, yeah, he's got a plus ball skills, but he's neither quick nor fast by NFL standards. He's good enough in each, but not the kind of elite down the field thing that you would see teams look for in their future X receiver, especially five, 10 years ago. Yeah, so I'm kind of torn on him because I think as a fit with Detroit, he would have been great. In Cleveland with Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore there, I'm not sure he really complements that skill set well. But 
I do like him as a value. I think that he's a solid receiver. I don't think he's ever going to be a star, but he's going to be one of those guys that is in the NFL for a long time. Like I could see him being like a Robert Woods like career, maybe not as a route runner, but as more of a poor man's contested catch X receiver. Um, then their other third round pick was um, Ika out of uh, Baylor defensive tackle. I really liked him. I think he's going to be a good value. He's going to be one of those solid guys in the middle that you never, you might never hear from him, but it's a position of need. And I think he's a good solid player. And then also they doubled down on the defensive line where in the fourth round, Isaiah McGuire out of uh, Missouri defensive end. He's another guy that I thought think is very solid. And I'd like, I liked him too when I was doing my defensive rankings defensive line rankings. And then I think the real steals was they got, they stayed in state. They got Dwan Jones out of Ohio state in the fourth round and Luke Weipler out of Ohio state center in the sixth round. That to me blew my mind that both of those guys fell that far. Dwan Jones, they were talking about drafting him in the first round to maybe Cincinnati or something. And then Luke Weipler was considered one of the three best centers in the league or in the draft, and he wasn't even, you know, possible third round, maybe even a second round pick, went into the sixth round. It's I think they fell for different reasons. Dewan Jones, when I looked into it, he did not weigh in at his pro day and he looked very large compared at, at his um at the uh interviews. So apparently a lot of people question his uh work ethic to stay in shape because he weighed in at the combine at two three seventy some. A lot of people speculate he might be over 400. And, uh, yeah. Um, I went back and looked at a lot of the Ohio State stuff, which, you know, you and I are both Ohio State alums. And the big knock against Dewan Jones is he looked ponderous at times on the right side. Against speed, he had a hard time keeping up. He's a 6'8 man mountain who's limited athletically this is only major drawback but he might need to be doing some wind sprints at the nfl if he wants to hold up at that right tackle spot and not get kicked inside where he'd be really really tall for the kind of bend that he'd have to get to stay around in there and for all the reasons he slipped in the draft i still think he might be a steal because he has first round talent at least back end um, even his film where he gets beat, he's so big with such a big wingspan and he has so much weight. He can get a one-arm punch that just throws the pass rusher off that even though the pass rusher is getting past him, he still impedes the pass rusher despite that. And obviously has the size to be a big baller. So if they can get him in shape, they could basically turn a pick with a, a draft where they didn't even have a first or second round pick into a potential first round talent. Uh, Weipler was a different story where he's a little undersized. A lot of people thought he can't, he should have stayed in school an extra year and um, that might've done him good because he might've made in that top three. And then the other guy of note was Dorian Thompson Robinson, the quarterback out of UCLA. A lot of people are felt like him as their favorite sleeper quarterback. And he could be for Cleveland, what Detroit fans want Hendon Hooker to be. And uh, at least worst case scenario, a cheap backup on a rookie contract. Yeah, I am not one of those people that's a big Dorian Thompson Robinson fan. I, there's some upside there, but he mostly looked like a Chip Kelly system quarterback as far as I was concerned. There are NFL throws that he just can't make, and that's an immediate 
ding to me. I thought that the fifth round for a guy like that was generous. Mm. Um, but I do want to circle back to Luke Weipler because it blew my mind too when he went sixth round because I was thinking, okay, he's undersized, maybe fourth round at the worst. Same. And holy cow. I mean – the analytics-based evaluators had him up with or near the elite interior lineman of the draft. He, yeah, he's undersized, but he's highly athletic. He's a two-year starter on an explosive Ohio State offense. He'll, yeah, okay, granted, he'll probably have to bulk up to deal with NFL bull rushers. That's what weight training's for. It, yeah, yeah. I, You're I, getting a guy with it with legit at least average NFL starter upside. In the sixth round. And you'll take that. And, and to tie off, Cleveland working from behind the eight ball because of the Deshaun Watson trade and the Elijah Moore trade, I think they really nailed it. They got some really good linemen. They got some really good uh, offensive and defensive. And I think they got a pretty solid receiver. It might not be the sexiest draft, but I think they potentially got multiple starters out of this to fill out their roster. And it's really going to come down to Deshaun Watson's, you know, but they agree. Giving him everything he could to succeed. 100%. This is exactly the kind of pick that the Browns needed to have. They, I mean, the draft, this, they needed to get better in the trenches, and they did. They got two very strong sleeper offensive linemen. They needed to address issues on the defensive line, and they did. Isaiah McGuire, I was one of the players that I had highlighted in my draft prep and he was really good at the university of missouri he was um isaiah mcguire is a bit raw but he has three down upside on the edge he'll never be a gigantic sack guy which is probably what caused him to fall a little bit but this value is pretty good for the browns Uh, i really like all of their picks i wasn't sold on the quarterback but you know, they might be looking for an off-ramp for Deshaun Watson or just a better backup option. Yeah, and like you said about McGuire, I mean, even if he's just an above-average good starter, he's a good complement across the line from uh, Miles Garrett. That is true. He never, he doesn't have to be the guy that beats double teams to get the quarterback sack because that's what they've got Miles Garrett for. Mm-hmm. He just has to be somebody dangerous enough on the other side that if you don't give him enough attention – he will splatter your quarterback. We've got a lot of really excited NFL teams after the draft. Who do you think helped their team the most with what happened with last weekend? I think uh, Pittsburgh had the best draft that's going to help immediately. I actually think for all the reaches or value, I think Detroit got at least four plug-and-play starters, even if they're not key positions. And I think um, – Chicago and Indianapolis, third TBD, but I think they swung for the highest ceiling, and we'll see. They could reach the sun. They could, you know, burn off the wings like Icarus, and uh, I think those will be the most exciting to see over the next couple of years, but I think Detroit and uh, Pittsburgh helped themselves the most, and I think Cleveland would be third right behind there. Of our Midwestern teams, yeah. Yes. I did not like them. The the Eagles and Texans had – big time stories on draft day also, but we're not going to talk too much about them. The, I agree with you on the lions. I mean, 
I was, it felt like they should have somehow gotten more, but at the end of the day, I don't think they did anything to get in the way of them winning or being one of the leading contenders, at least to win the NFC North next year. I don't know how much better Minnesota is getting with all the talent that they shot into the sun last year. I mean, Minnesota's draft comes down to can Jordan Addison get off the line on press men and compliment Justin Jefferson. And if he's a bust, I think that whole draft class might be a waste. And then um, with Detroit, um, when you really boil it down, sure, Gibbs might have been a reach. But when you look back on it, they had a pretty good running game last year with DeAndre DeAndre Swift and uh, Jamal Williams, who are now both gone. And I think that Montgomery is an upgrade for what Williams did. And I think Gibbs is an upgrade from what Swift gave you. So even if people didn't like the pick or they thought it was too high, it's an improvement in my opinion. And I think Sanborn and Branch are just going to immediately help that interior of that defensive back uh, secondary back seven. And I think that the Lions are a true contender and they help themselves out. And Sam Laporta was my favorite tight end in the draft. Um, even if I don't know if he'll tight ends tend to don't contribute right away, but it was a need. And I think that helped them out a lot. And I think that um, the Steelers really blown out the lines, especially the right, the tackle with Broderick Jones. I think they helped themselves a lot because the rest of their offense is a lot of really young, high upside skill players. So they didn't need to get any running backs or receivers. And I think they did a good job filling out their needs with good players, with good Steelers players. Do you think the Steelers end up returning to the playoffs this year? Uh, Do you think they can challenge Cincinnati for the division? I think they will definitely have another winning season like they did last year. And I think they'll remake the playoffs, even in a tough, uh, tough, tough conference. And uh, based on what I saw at Cincinnati, I mean, they don't seem to want to keep Joe Burrow alive. So he might, he might get massacred (laughs) and the Steelers might run away with the division. Did he ask out the owner's daughter or something? I mean, what's going on here? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, for the record, they did get Orlando Brown to play tackle. So they did address it in the free agency, but they still had a glaring hole at right tackle. And I think one thing we didn't cover that a lot of people will love to hear about was the Jalen Carter fall, because he clearly was not on Seattle, Detroit, or Chicago's uh, draft boards. Will this haunt us? Because Detroit saw him on the board and said, nope, we're trading back to 12 and we're taking a running back. Chicago saw him at nine and said, Eagles, you take him. Give us a future fourth round pick. We're taking our tackle instead. And there must be something else going on back there. Uh, maybe it was the pro, the fact that he didn't look good as pro day, interviewing poorly, in addition to his off-field issues. Yeah, it was head-scratching to me. Uh, I'm starting to see reports come out that his snap count was very low for Georgia last year. And there were some business decisions that came up on his tape that people were not too happy with, but this also might have been justification after the fact. From that perspective, he might have landed in the best spot because no one runs a deeper defensive line than Philly. They tend to rotate their players. So if he's not in the great shape, he'll be fine. He can run his 300 snaps a year instead of 600 or 800, and maybe he'll be a good steal for them where he wouldn't be as effective for one of the other teams because they don't have as much defensive line depth. Yeah, maybe everybody... For Detroit, he would have been out there every single snap that he had oxygen in his body. Yeah, 
and he might have had a heart attack on the field based on the conditioning reports I've heard. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to admit he's had a mentally rough couple months. Some of that, you know, admittedly of his own making. And just to tie a bow off on it, you know he wasn't on the Chicago board because not only did they trade back one spot to get just a future fourth, but then they went and drafted three defensive tackles that play his position. So I don't think they were interested in him because they definitely are looking to upgrade their defensive tackles, and he was the best one on the board. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that threw me was when the Raiders passed on him. When the Raiders are passing on someone for character concerns, I mean – did hell freeze? What is I didn't going think on? About that. Raiders for that. Wow. Now, I mean, they might have legitimately had uh Tyree Wilson ahead of them. He's you a know, like guy. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, Atlanta seemed pretty locked on to Bijan. So we can't say that Carter was off their board. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that. Seattle, Detroit, and Chicago had him either off the board or so low that they might as well have had him off. The mm-hmm. board. I agree. You know, if he ends up being an Antonio Brown head case or a Jamarcus Russell can't stay in shape, then they look like geniuses. But if he ends up looking like this generation's Warren Sapp, you know, for those of you who aren't, you know, geezers like like me, apparently, I'm sitting here in my early forties. You know, Warren Sapp was uh, accused of marijuana back when that was a very serious thing uh, in the early mid '90s, right, like on draft day or the day before, where nobody could vet it, and he fell in the draft to Tampa, who gleefully snapped him up and used him to wreck NFL offenses for his entire career. I believe he was Super Bowl MVP in '01, right? around that time that sounds right when tampa won their first one yeah yep the one without brady and yeah so that's a good point and uh i take solace in the bears passing on him because i was really hoping we'd show up the offensive line and keep justin fields alive i think that's more important than you know defensive tackle even if he's that great i just want to keep fields alive because i think it'd be fun to watch him even if it's just just because i'm a double homer as a buckeye and a uh, bears fan Granted, you know, but I felt like he was exactly the position that the Lions needed the most. Uh, And if they were that head over heels for uh, Jameer Gibbs and uh, the linebacker Carpenter, maybe you trade back into the first round for the third of them. And I mean, I get it. If you legitimately have Jameer Gibbs as the third player on your board, and you've already traded down to 12, yeah, I could see why you would be nervous and you would make that trade. But they're just about the only ones on the planet. I don't think Jameer Gibbs' mother had Jameer Gibbs third on the board. Yeah, and I'm wondering if maybe they weren't expecting Bijan to go in the top 10 and that caused them to panic and just take Gibbs at 12 because they were like, well, there's two guys we wanted and one of them's already gone. Maybe. Um, I really feel like, though, it was just the guy that they couldn't imagine not being there. Uh, The cornerback from Illinois. A Witherspoon. Yeah. He just, when he wasn't there, I think they felt pickless. But look, that's the other thing that you can criticize the Lions for, 
if you've legitimately got a two-player super elite tier, then why didn't you move up? Yeah. I mean, they could have moved up to three or, you know, like Houston did, gone and get, gone, gone and get a guy. For the record, forgot to mention it when we were talking about Indianapolis, but Houston moving up to number three to take Will Anderson basically blocked the Raiders and other teams from moving up to three to take Anthony Richardson. So I think the uh, Colts unknowingly were big winners of that trade, even if Will Anderson ends up sacking Anthony Richardson over and over again over the next the remainder of both of their careers. But they got to help them get their quarterback. Once again, the Houston Texans accidentally do the Colts a solid. <laughs> You're right. That's the second time in the, since week uh, 18 of last year. Yep, when they went out with nothing to win except a better draft position and beat an Indianapolis team that is rudderless at the end of last year. Lovey Smith, you are already an icon in Chicago, and we only love you more for that win. (laughs) But that about wraps it up for this week. It's time to take it to the locker room, fifth quarter time. Thank you again to all of our listeners, to all of our the people that have supported us personally and uh, over the course of this podcast. We're going to come back right at you next week on Tuesday. If you want to be a part of that show, send us an email at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. That was midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think of what your favorite team is doing. So until next time, we are going to see you later. I miss you already.